Welcome to the Faith Life Fellowship Podcast with Dr. Scott Forrest. In today's message, Dr. Forrest presents part one of his series, Identity and Authority. Praise the Lord. Welcome, everyone, to Faith Life Fellowship. This morning, we're going to talk about identity and authority. A new series we're starting today. I think it'll go for three, maybe four weeks. And when I say identity and authority, what I mean is your identity in Christ and how it directly relates to your authority as a believer. I was listening to a prophetic voice recently that I was not familiar with. And although I was very interested in what she had to say, she said something in passing that got my attention. She said, true spiritual authority flows from established identity. I mean, that went off like a bomb in my spirit. I said, that is right. Amen. That's awesome. I couldn't agree more. In other words, you will never walk in the level of authority that God intended for you to walk in as a believer unless you understand who you are in Christ, unless you establish your identity in Him. Your identity is everything. Think about it. Your identity determines how you see yourself. How others see you. How you approach life in every respect. Every important decision you make your entire life will be affected by your identity. The way you see yourself will determine things like what challenges and endeavors you decide to tackle. What career you choose. What friends you choose. What mate you choose. How you see God, what church you attend, what gifts and abilities you choose to develop, what dreams you chase, which ones seem possible, and which ones seem impossible. You will either see yourself as a victor in life, or you will see yourself as a victim in life. Or you will see yourself somewhere in between. That's why it's vitally important to know your identity in Christ. Who you are in Him. Because bottom line, that's the way God sees you. That's the way God created you to be. So let's make up our mind as the people of God. That we're going to establish our identity in Christ And be the people God created us to be. Amen. As you can tell, I'm very passionate about this. So with all that in mind, I'm going to break this teaching into three parts. Even if it goes more than three sessions, there's going to be three main themes that we will be talking about. Number one, who you are in Christ. Number two, where you are in Christ. And number three, your authority as a believer. Today, we're going to talk about your identity in Christ. Now, in order to establish your identity in Christ, 
we got to do a little digging, and we have to look at the three-part nature of man. It's fundamental. I talk about it a lot. But it's not really understood as well as you might think in the collective body of Christ. Let me begin by saying that everyone in this room was made in the triune image of God, yet you are one whole being. Now, I know some people go triune image. What does that mean? It means that you are comprised of three parts and yet you are one whole being. Now, I know this in the word, which we're going to get into, and I know this experientially. I want to take you on a little journey of my discovery of spirit, soul and body based on an encounter that I had in December of 1988. Trisha and I and our two toddler daughters, Marcy and Alicia, were living in Minden, Louisiana. I had started grad school for the first time. I was going for my master's degree in mechanical engineering, and I was up in my study late brushing up on math. It had been 10 years since my bachelor's in engineering, and I was really rusty in calculus, and calculus was everywhere in all these master's level classes. So as I studied late into the night, I remember at some point feeling like a blanket or something heavy was placed over my head and shoulders. And in response, I just rested my head and my arms on the roll-top desk in front of me. And as soon as my head hit my arms, I went immediately into the Spirit. I was completely aware of my surroundings, but I could not move. Suddenly, I became aware of an audible voice that was speaking to me that sounded oh so very familiar. And this voice kept saying the same phrases and the same words over and over again as if he were trying to emphasize something to get something important over to me. And as I listened for about 30 seconds, I was shocked to realize that it was my own voice speaking to me, yet I knew that my lips were not moving. I realize now that it was the voice of my human spirit. And this is what he was saying to me. This is amazing, folks. I've never forgotten it. This voice, my voice, my human spirit voice said this to me. He addressed all parts of our being. And he said, we must band together if we are to put the flesh under and accomplish the assignments that the Lord has given unto us. We cannot allow the desires of the flesh to dominate us and hinder us from fulfilling our calling in Him. We must hold fast to God's Word and follow the leading of the Spirit if we are to do the things that God has called us to do. Did you know there's a man or a woman on the inside of you that talks like that? If you're born again, I'm telling you, he's in there. I was shocked. I was absolutely stunned. You know, at the time of this experience, I had studied spirit, soul, and body 
But a lot of it hadn't been settled in my heart and in my mind. But now my revelation of this concept was on the increase through this highly unusual spiritual encounter. When I came out of the Spirit, I stood up from my desk and I blurted out a flurry of questions. I said, okay, Lord, what exactly was that? What just happened to me? And why was I using the pronoun we? I later found out that's first person plural. Was that the voice of my human spirit, Lord? So over the next few weeks and months, the Lord began to answer all my questions. And the first place that He took me was Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, let them have dominion. Let me read that again because I want you to notice that he is also talking in first person plural. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion. So right here in this scripture, we've got the basis of this series. We have got identity followed by authority. Amen. So true authority flows from established identity, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing who you are in God. So here we see God addressing himself in the very same way that I had addressed myself, first person plural, in the unusual encounter that I had had. He said, let us make man in our image. So it began to be clear to me, even though I didn't understand the Trinity, and I still don't completely, I don't think anybody does, you are a reflection of the Trinity. You are spirit, soul, and body. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three parts, yet He is one whole being. You are three parts, yet you are one whole being. It just really broadened my revelation of the whole concept, and I began to understand. Evidently, my makeup and God's makeup were very similar. Amen. So we call this concept of a holy God who is one God and yet exists in what turns out to be three separate personalities or expressions. We call that the Godhead or the Trinity. And there are other places in Scripture in both the Old Testament and New Testament that confirm this truth. The first one I want you to look at is 1 John 5-7, New King James Version. 1 John 5-7, New King James Version. For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. There it is in the Scripture. Turn with me now in your devices or your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 20. And I'll be reading in the New King James Version. Romans chapter 1, verse 20. 
This is a mind blower. Paul says to the Romans, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, talking about God, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You could say that the creation, and I believe even the structure of the universe itself, is a reflection of the nature of of the Creator God. And if I had time to go there this morning, I could show you signs in the heavens that speak of the Trinity, that speak of the Godhead. But that's not the purpose of today's message. That'll be a science in the Bible message sometime later. One curious thing concerning the Trinity that I find fascinating. When the Word of God took on flesh, and became a man, the nature of the Godhead changed fundamentally. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, New King James Version. John says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him, nothing was made that was made. Amen. Skip on down to verse 14. And the Word, which existed in eternity with God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That's talking about Jesus. Notice that after God became a man in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, that a new expression for the Trinity or the Godhead became acceptable. Matthew 28, verse 19. New King James Version. Matthew 28, verse 19. This is Jesus speaking, and for the first time, He uses this new expression. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. You see, before the incarnation, before Jesus the Word became a man, the Godhead or the Trinity was defined as the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. After the incarnation, Jesus became a man And the Godhead or Trinity was defined as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But since Jesus is the living Word, it's still okay to refer to the Trinity as the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Everybody get that? There'll be a test afterwards. So with all this in mind, let me repeat what I've already said once before. Everyone in this room was made in the triune image of God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet He is one whole being. We are spirit, soul, and body, and yet we are one whole being. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. That was a joke you're allowed to laugh. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 5.23. New King James Version. Didn't want anybody to 
think that I actually mispronounced it like that. Verse 23, Paul is speaking to the believers. He says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. It means set you apart completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. So a lot of people in the body of Christ today teach that the spirit and the soul are the same thing. You just got a soul that lives in a body. Well, the scripture does not agree with that. Here in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, there are three separate Greek words used there. Spirit, soul, and body. Real quickly, spirit is the word pneuma. It means breath. It's literally the breath of God that went into your little embryo the moment you were fertilized, the moment you came into conception. God breathed the breath of life into your little embryo. The word there, soul, is the word suke. In the Greek, it's the word that we get our word in English for psychology from. It means the mind, the will, the emotions, the personality, the intellect. And the body, the Greek word there is soma. It means literally your body, or as I like to think about it, the earth suit that you live in while you're on planet earth. Amen. So you are literally three different parts. And it gets even more interesting if you go to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Another supporting scripture that shows us that we are indeed three different parts, yet one whole being. The writer of the Hebrews says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. I want you to notice that you've got allusions here to soul and spirit and also joints and marrow, which are characteristics of the body, right? So in this scripture, you've got spirit, soul, and body again. Only now, the writer explains under the influence of the Holy Spirit that your spirit and soul and body are intertwined so intricately that it takes the Word of God to tell where one ends and the other begins. This is kind of a side journey, but it's a worthwhile side journey. In your heart, which I believe is composed of your spirit and your soul together, there may be a conflict in what your spirit man knows and what your soul man knows. You know, you have to renew your mind to the Word of God, to get in sync with the spirit man on the inside. You want to hook up with him. Trust me, I've heard him speak. He's awesome. What we got to learn to do is tap into that guy, you know, because I'm here to tell you, he always wants to do what's right. He always wants to pray. He always wants to dive into the Word. He always wants to worship God, whether corporately or privately. He always wants to walk in love. How many know we need to line up with that guy? Or that woman. So if the word of God 
is able to discern or divide between soul and spirit, let me give you a scenario in which this is very helpful. You're in a meeting, you're in a prayer meeting, and you get a word. And it just sort of, it's just a faint little voice in your head. Say this, prophesy this, go speak to this, to this person. And most of us have had this question come up. Was that really you, Lord? Or is that just me? How'd you like to know to answer that question definitively? You got to become a man or woman of the word. Because the Bible says the word will be the one that can tell you whether that is spirit or soul. Whether it's God or just you. Amen? Just put that in your pocket and pull it out when you need it later. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So with all of this in mind, our three-part nature, what does it mean to be born again? I had somebody ask me one time, are you one of those born-again Christians? I said, I didn't know there was any other kind. (laughs) Jesus said, you must be born again. As the Brits would say, it is mandatory. So what does it mean to be born again? Well, listen, we have to go do a little history. When man disobeyed God and fell in the garden, it affected every part of his three-part being, starting with his spirit. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. In the New King James Version, Genesis chapter 2, 16 and 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now you've heard this before, but it's so worth hearing again. That last phrase there in the literal language sounds more like this. For in the day that you eat of it, in dying you shall die. There's a double reference to death. What does that mean? The minute you take a taste of that fruit, you are going to die spiritually and the rest of you is going to die later. That's what's going on. And indeed, when Adam sinned, his sin became dead and was separated from God. His soul was polluted by sin and his body began to age and decay. You could say he fell from grace completely. Spirit, soul, and body. So when God sent Jesus to redeem mankind, his intention was to reverse that process completely. Beginning with the spirit of man, the core of his being, that part of man that came directly from him. John chapter 3. Verse 3 through 10. John chapter 3, verse 3 through 10, New King James Version. Fascinating story. So full of revelation. Little background Nicodemus was a closet follower of Jesus, he was a Pharisee. And so the Bible says he went to Jesus by night. He wanted to ask him some questions. 
So we pick it up here in verse 3. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time in his mother's womb and be born? Do you really think he thought that? I think he just said the first thing that popped up in his mind. And sounded foolish. Verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And I'm here to tell you that is not talking about water baptism. Everybody knows the first thing that happens when you have a baby is your water breaks. Born of water is an allusion to the natural birth process. Born of spirit, Jesus is saying, is something completely different. And he clarifies that here in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Now, that's kind of curious, and you may have heard this before, but think about this. Why is Jesus talking about the wind? Well, first of all, the wind is a type of the Spirit of God, but there's more to it than that. He says, you can't really see the wind. Has anybody in here ever seen the wind? Have you seen the air molecules compressed together in waves as the pressure wave goes by you? Have you actually seen that at the microscopic atomic level? None of us have. So we can't actually see the wind. But what we can do is we can see the effect of the wind. We can see the ripple on the waves of the water. We can see the trees bow to the wind. We can see the jet trails be influenced by the wind. They'll curve instead of going straight. We can see all kind of things. We can see the smoke coming out of the chimney bend in response to the wind. So what Jesus is saying, listen, when you're born of the Spirit, it is something that happens on the inside that nobody can see until they begin to see the effects in the changed life of the person who got born again. Do you see that? This is what Jesus is talking about. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? He was totally flummoxed. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? In other words, you're a master of the prophets. You're a Pharisee. You know the word. How is it that you have not heard the word of the prophets talking about the born-again experience? Let me give you a couple examples. This was not something that, that, that should have taken the Pharisees, the ruling class of religious people in Jesus' day. It should not have taken them by surprise. Jeremiah 17, verse 1. New King James Version. Jeremiah 17, verse 1. Jeremiah says, The sin of Judah is written with a pen of iron. With the point of a diamond, it is engraved on the tablet of their heart. Now, as an engineer, I feel duty-bound to tell you that the hardest substance in the universe is diamond. 
So God is saying here through the prophet, listen, I tried to scratch on your stony heart with a diamond tip pen and I still couldn't get through. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. Ezekiel says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. This is talking about the born-again experience that would one day come to the nation of Israel. And Jesus is trying to explain it to Nicodemus. And even though he was a master of Israel, he was a rabbi, he was a teacher, he didn't have a clue. So let's talk about the born-again experience. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18. There's some things you just have to know. It's part of this process of moving from identity to authority. you got to know these things. you got to know it for yourself and you got to know it so you can share it with new believers because they need to know it. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 18, New King James Version. This is Paul speaking. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And verse 18 says, Now all things are of God. Amen. So when you get born again, and I confess to you, I do not understand the mechanics of how this happens, but the prophets tell us this is what happened, and then it says in 2 Corinthians this is what happens. The old spirit, that dead spirit that was dead to God, is somehow taken out. And a brand new spirit is put in. I don't understand it, but bless God, I believe it with all of my heart. And you are born again spiritually. You know, if you look at this scripture, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation the context and the language actually, uh, if you read between the lines, it's saying you are a new creation which never before existed. There is no precedent for this person. That's what you got to know. I'm telling you, I've heard this man talk, and that was not the last time I have heard my spirit man talk. I have heard him talk many times, and he has got it going on. So I try my best to keep up with him. Second Corinthians 5:21. Here's a mind blower for the religious people. Second Corinthians 5:21. For he hath made him, talking about Jesus, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. A lot of people think that is sacrilegious to say that, but you know what? It's in the Bible. Well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. What an insult to the work of Jesus Christ, the completed work of Jesus on the cross. He paid a heavy price to make you a new creation. You were an old sinner, but you are now saved by grace and you're a saint of God. Don't get caught up in all that religious lingo. It's an attempt to sound humble, but it's really an insult to God and His man, Jesus.
You want more proof? Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. Ephesians 4, 22 through 24. I'll be reading in the English Standard Version. Looks like it changed it to the New King James. My notes say one thing and the slides say another, so I'm going with the slides. Paul says to the Ephesians that you need to put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Did you get that? There's an old man that needs to be put off and there's a new man that needs to be put on. The old man is that remnant of your former life that's still kind of lingering in your soul and your body, in your flesh. That's the man you need to put off. And the Bible says the man on the inside is the one you need to put on. Remember, I've said this many, many times. The challenge of the Christian life is to put what's inside you on the outside for everybody to see. Amen. Amen. So, you do not have a sin nature, not in your spirit. You got a brand new nature, and the Bible says he is made just like God in true righteousness and holiness. Amen. These are things you got to know. Because when you make a mistake and you flub up, you're going to get all condemned, and you're going to forget that there's a man on the inside of you or a woman inside of you that's like that. Truly righteous, holy, and as we're going to see here in a minute, perfect. Before we go any further, I want to emphasize this point. Jesus purchased more for us in his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension than just forgiveness of sin. He paved the way for us to become new creations in him. He gave us a new nature that's just like his. That's what it means to be born again. To be born again is to be made perfect on the inside. That is in your spirit man. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 22 and 23. New King James Version. This is talking about heaven. This is a revelation about heaven, amen. The writer of the Hebrews says, But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels. So we're talking about the heavenly Jerusalem. Listen to this. This is awesome. To the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect. So you see two things there. Number one, you can't just be perfect. You have to be made perfect. Jesus said, be ye holy as I am holy. I struggle with that a long time. And then he said, be ye perfect as I am perfect. I'm like, you know, I, there's just no way. The only way you can be perfect in the way that Jesus is talking about is to be made that way on the inside. And if you haven't gotten it yet through the other scriptures we looked at, This scripture that we just read makes it clear that the part of you that gets changed when you get born again is your spirit man. 
How many, when you got born again, went home and looked at the mirror and your hair color had changed? Or you had a crooked nose and it was straight all of a sudden? Or you had blue eyes and they became brown? Nothing changed on the outside. All the action happened on the inside. Amen. And once you get born again, listen, it is imperative for young believers to begin the journey towards understanding who they are in Christ. Even many so-called seasoned believers don't really understand who they are in Christ. And if you don't understand who you are in Christ, how you're made up of spirit, soul, and body, you won't understand some basic truths of the Bible. Basic truths that are directly applicable to how you live your life on a day-to-day basis. You won't understand foundational doctrines like what it means to be born again or what it means to be spirit-filled. So let me wrap this up by saying this. Although part of you, your spirit man, has been righteous, holy, and perfect, just like God, it's only the beginning. Your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions need to be renewed, and your body needs to be trained and disciplined so that the man on the inside, your spirit man, dominates every part of your three-part being. So next week, we'll talk about how you can find out more about this man on the inside, more about who you are in Christ, so that you can walk in the victory that God intended for you to walk in. Then you'll make the transition from who you are in Christ to where you are in Christ. And as we develop this series further, we'll flow into walking into your authority as a believer. Amen? Amen. We hope you enjoyed part one of Dr. Forrest's message, Identity and Authority. If you were blessed by this message and would like to donate to our ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at gofaithlife.com. If you are in the Wilmington area and are looking for a place to worship, come join us on Sunday at 9.45 a.m. for coffee and fellowship and 10.30 for worship and service. If you'd like to learn more about us and hear more of Dr. Forrest's teachings, visit our website at gofaithlife.com. Also, visit and like our Facebook page at Faith Life Wilmington.